moral lessons that we can learn from his life. Noah is a great Bible character, and we certainly can be encouraged by the things that he did that we know about him. But have you ever wondered about Noah's ark, the ark itself, and some of the technical aspects of making, building that ark, collecting all the animals, housing them and so forth in that ark for the long period of the flood? What about all of that? You know, skeptics have long attacked the story of Noah's ark in the Bible. possibly have happened the way the Bible says that it happened, and that, in fact, that is a good example of the inaccuracy of the Bible and, and the mythological nature of the things that the Scriptures teach, and that it should not be accepted as real or factual. The skeptics have had what they think is a bit of a heyday criticizing the ark that Noah made as is taught in the book of Genesis. So tonight, what we want to do for a few minutes is answer some questions that pertain to Noah and his ark, the building of that ark, the construction of it, and so forth. If, this, if, if our uh, computer decides to work for us here, we're going to go to that. Hmm. Something's not working right here. Let's see. Let's see if we can do this. Here we go. No, we're on. We're on. We're going, to, we're going to try to answer some questions about Noah's Ark. And hopefully what we will accomplish in doing that is to uh, admittedly deal with some speculation about things as they might have been, but come to the firm conclusion that the Bible, the story the Bible tells is absolutely feasible and realistic, and it definitely could have happened exactly as the way the Bible teaches it, we believe, of course, it did. We want, we want to prove from just a practical standpoint it could have happened that way and just confirm what we already believe is that it did happen that way because God said so. That's what we're going to do in our lesson tonight. We thank you for being here, uh, for your presence on this Sunday evening. It shows an interest, a great, important interest in spiritual things, and we commend you for that. For those who are visiting tonight, thanks for coming, and please come again whenever you can and ask whatever questions you might have about what you hear or what you see as we worship together here at College View. All right, here are the kind of questions. I want to just run through the questions, and then we'll back up and talk about them one at a time. I'd like to know, what, what, what do we know about what the earth was like before the flood that came in Noah's day? We want to ask the question about the ark and its construction. Was it seaworthy? Could it have actually floated? Could it have carried the load that it was designed to carry? We want to talk about whether it could actually physically contain all the animals that it was that were supposed to be there we want to ask the question is it reasonable to think that a man like noah living in that ancient day could have built such an incredible vessel as the ark that we read about in the bible i'd like to ask the question how in the world could noah have possibly collected all of those animals and cared for them on the ark and then a real basic question, where did all the water for the flood come from? First question. And the follow-up question is, well, where did it all go? So those are the kind of questions that I think are interesting to consider. They are the kind of questions that skeptics have asked, and, and they've imagined that they can't be answered, that there's no reasonable answer to these questions. I believe we'll see that there are. So let's back up. Let's talk about what the earth was like before the flood. We know something about that because the scriptures tell us. 
What was the earth like before the flood? Well, first of all, we could ask a question. We can't say this, I don't think, with maybe absolute certainty. But is it possible, conceivable, that the earth was encircled in a sort of water vapor canopy? If it was, it would have provided a sort of natural greenhouse effect. In other words, if we hear these days when all of the alarm is about global warming, that if you put greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, that it makes the earth warm up. And you've heard, for instance, worries about the fact that the polar ice caps may begin to melt and so forth. If there's a greenhouse effect, then the earth warms up. I think the scriptures suggest to us that there was such a greenhouse effect in the early days of the earth after God had created all things. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, says, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. The word firmament there would suggest what we would typically refer to as our atmosphere. But notice that there were waters below and waters above. And this separated the waters. Well, the waters below would be the water that was here on the surface. There was some water up there. And the firmament separated the waters below from the waters above. If that was a sort of water vapor canopy that encircled the earth, then it would have made the earth tropical all over. Uh, and, and lush vegetation and even tropical plants and animals would have grown not only in the equatorial sections of the earth as they do today but even in the far north and south regions of the globe well as a matter of fact uh, when scientists do some exploring what do they find even in the polar regions they find animals that couldn't possibly have lived there under current circumstances but they apparently did at some time in the distant past and so there's some confirmation scientifically that maybe at one time in the past the earth was tropical all over it could have possibly been from this greenhouse effect produced by this water vapor canopy. Another thing that's interesting to consider what the earth was like before the flood is the indication that there was no rain. It had not rained. God had not caused it to rain. Look in chapter 2 of Genesis, verses 5 and 6. It says, Every plant of the field before, was it, before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew... For the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground, but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. No rain, but a mist that came up and watered the vegetation. Well, that almost sounds like a greenhouse, doesn't it? Have you ever been inside a, the very humid environment of a greenhouse? Sort of sounds like that. But there was no rain, at least for a time, and I don't know that that had changed from the early creation that we're reading about here until the days of Noah. Remember in our class Wednesday night, we said that Noah lived about 1,500 years after creation. So maybe for that whole 1,500-year period, there had been no rain. In Hebrews chapter... Oh, here we go again. We're going we're gonna to fight this thing all night, I'm afraid. Uh, here we go again from Hebrews chapter 11. Remember what it says about Noah? It says, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. 
Noah was warned about something that he had not seen before. What was that? Well, a very obvious answer to that question is he was warned about a flood that was coming. There never had been a flood like that. In fact, there never will be another like that. And so, certainly, he had never seen the flood. But is it possible, when it says that he was warned of things he'd not seen before, is it possible that maybe he'd not even seen it rain before the flood? I think that's a possibility. If it had rained, here's a question I have in my mind, and just, just a what if. If it had rained before the flood, why hadn't a rainbow been visible before the flood? You know, when it rains and the sun shines through the falling rain, it produces a rainbow in the, in the opposite horizon. If it had rained before, why wouldn't that naturally occurring physical phenomenon of a rainbow have happened previously? Maybe a little additional verification that perhaps it had not rained prior to the flood. These are just some things that we can uh, maybe speculate. What was the earth like before the flood came? We do know for certain that men lived very long lives before the flood. In chapter 5 of Genesis, beginning at verse 25, it says, Methuselah lived 180 and seven years and begat Lamech, and Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 780 and two years and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. A lifespan of 969 years. Amazing. And so, just, just sort of as a baseline here, what we're saying is things before the flood were a good bit different than they are after the flood. All right? So just keep some of those things in mind as we move further in answering some of these questions about the ark. Let's talk about the ark itself. Was that ark a seaworthy vessel? Okay, so God tells Noah to build an ark. Could you build an ark that would withstand a, a, a tremendous flood, possibly very rough seas and so forth, carrying a heavy load? And, um, and the basic question is, was it seaworthy? Well, let's read about that in Genesis 6 in the reading that Caleb did for us earlier. Verse 15, this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. Well, there's the dimensions of the ark spelled out for us in cubits. Now, we've studied that plenty of times. We know that a cubit was the measure of distance from a man's elbow to the tip of his fingers. Typically, 18 inches is a good estimation of a cubit. That being the case, then the ark was 450 feet long. As I think Arthur mentioned Wednesday night, that's a football field and a half. Imagine a football field and then go half that distance again. That's how long that ark was. It was 75 feet wide. It was 45 feet tall. It's interesting to note, as we did on Wednesday night, that no other vessel that large had ever been built until sometime within the last hundred years. Now the super tankers, which go across the oceans, uh, are bigger than Noah's ark, but, but that's only been recently. Imagine that long ago, Noah built an ark that enormously large. Scientific tests prove that it was very seaworthy and extremely stable in the water. In fact, when they've built models to these dimensional ratios, that ark could ride itself in a tilt up to nearly 90 degrees. In other words, you could tilt that thing over its side almost 90 degrees and it'd pop back up. 
and, and sit upright in the water. So it was, in fact, very stable. Interestingly, those super tankers that we were talking about that go across the oceans carrying oil today are built to similar length width height ratios because it is incredibly stable in the water. All right, so what about the ark? Well, if you were going to build one, that'd be the way to build it. That'd be the size, the dimensions to use. Again, science is bearing out that what the Bible says about it seems to make sense. Well, what about the ark? Could it possibly hold all the animals that supposedly it held during the flood? Well, let's ask that question. First of all, taxonomists, that is the people who categorize groupings of animals, would tell us that there are maybe 50,000 species of animals that need protection from the flood. And so we're talking about on the order, or there'd be a little more than that maybe, but on the order of 100,000 animals would have needed to be in the ark. Those, those people who categorize and classify animals tell us there's about 700 different families of animals. Uh, there's um, over a million species on the earth today. Many of those, of course, would be safe from the flood because they would be aquatic animals. Uh, but there would be about 50,000 species of animals that would need protection from a flood, therefore about 100,000 animals. Now, could you estimate a size for an animal that would be on the ark? What do you think? If you were going to guess, in other words, we're trying to come up with an average size of all these animals that need to be on the ark. Well, in reality, there are not all that many really large animals. I mean, you think of an elephant, you think of a rhinoceros, you think of a giraffe, pretty big animals. But in, 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 when you really come to think of it, there's not all that many tremendously large animals. Most animals are way smaller than that. Squirrels and rabbits and monkeys and so forth. So what if you sort of made a liberal guess and said, let's say that the all of the animals, if you averaged their sizes out, all the animals would average out in size to about the size of a sheep. Now, we're just grabbing an animal that we can relate to. But let's say that if you were to average out the size of all the animals, they came out to about the size of the sheep. Now, we know the volumetric capacity of the ark. You can calculate that, right? We just talked about the dimensions of it. The volumetric capacity of the ark was... 1,518,750 cubic feet. That doesn't mean much to me. I don't know if it does to you or not. That's a, that's a lot of volume, but I, I'm having a little trouble grasping how big is that. Well, look at it this way. Think of a, a railroad car. A standard railroad stock car is 2,670 cubic feet. Oh, I can picture a railroad car, right? Well, a railroad car is 2,670 cubic feet. So the, the ark had the capacity of 569 standard railroad stock cars. All right? All right now you see where I'm heading with this? It's pretty obvious where we're going. You can put 240 sheep in one railroad stock car and therefore, if, you, if the ark was the size of 569 such railroad cars and you can put 240 sheep in each one, it would have required 418 such cars to carry all the animals. Well, wait a minute. You'd need 418 stock cars to carry all the animals in the ark, but we've got 569 stock cars capacity-wise. That means that 
uh, about 73% of the capacity or three-fourths of the capacity of the ark based upon the assumptions we're made. Obviously, we're, we're making some pretty wild assumptions. Pretty, I don't think they're wild assumptions, but they, they're certainly, we're certainly grasping some assumptions. But if you, if you followed the assumptions we just made in that analysis, it would take about three-fourths of the capacity of the ark to hold the animal. And that would leave another 25% for food and other things that needed to be stowed away on the ark for that year-long, year-long plus voyage that the ark would be making. What does all that say? When you put that all together, could the ark possibly hold all those animals? The, the answer is, yeah, it could have. It, it certainly was big enough to do what the Bible claims that it was designed to do. All right, well, now here's a, a follow-up question to that. All right, so if you, if you had a vessel that big, you could hold what it was supposed to hold. But come on now, we're talking about Noah. We're talking about a man who lived so long ago, they didn't have any modern tools or equipment. What if you were assigned the job of building a vessel 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall, but you can't have a chainsaw and you can't have any uh, hydraulic cranes and tractors and lifts and all of that, you really think that Noah, living so long ago without the advantage of modern tools, could have physically built the ark? Well, let's ask that question. First of all, skeptics say that it would have been just impossible. It would have been impossible for a four-man crew, and we're talking about Noah and his three sons, a four-man crew could have never uh, pulled that off. Uh, they say that just wouldn't be possible. Well, first question I would ask is, is it say anywhere in the Bible text that Noah couldn't hire others to help him in the work? I mean, that's a, that's a possibility, right? I mean, there's nothing, nothing that we know about what God told him to do would have precluded him from hiring certain people to do certain parts of the job, cutting, hewing timber, whatever. Right? That, that could have happened for sure. Uh, but let's just go, to the, just go back to the idea that there were only four guys working on this. Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Just those four. If there, uh, if there were just four, could they do it? Well, Genesis 6, verse 3. We mentioned this the other night in our study. Genesis 6, verse 3 suggested that Noah had 120 years to finish the job. Remember in Genesis 6, verse 3, The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. And so you get the idea from that. That's typically understood to mean God determined that he was going to send this great flood, but he said, I'm going to send it 120 years from now. Uh, I think there are probably several reasons for that. We talked some the other night about the fact that uh, the very long-suffering nature of God would have been at play there, giving men a chance to repent before the flood came. Noah, as it was pointed out, was preaching righteousness all during that period while the ark was being constructed. So if Noah had 120 years to finish the job, think about it this way. It's estimated that the ark contained 380,000 cubic feet of wood. Now, this is different. We were talking about volumetric capacity earlier. In other words, how much could you put inside the ark? But it's estimated if you were going to build a vessel out of wood as big as Noah's ark was, you would need 380,000 cubic feet of wood. That's a lot of wood, all right? Could four men have done that? Well, if four men could cut, gather, hew, and construct just 15 cubic feet per day, 
which they say would not be an unreasonable task even with primitive tools, then they could have completed the job in just 81 years, just 81 years, uh, if they worked six days per week. That's a long time, but there's enough time for that, right? In fact, there's plenty of extra time to allow for them to accomplish that job. So, again, asking the question, is it reasonable to think that Noah could have built such an incredible craft? Yes, it could have been done. That's not an impossibility. And from what we know and what we can put together, then it seems like the answer to that question is yes. Well, let's ask this question. Okay, so you've got the ark. You know, we got the ark built, but now we've got a huge problem. We've got to collect all those animals. And we've got to go to the far reaches of the earth and collect all the animals, uh, a representative breeding pair at least of every kind of animal that there is. How's Noah going to do that? How's he going to do that? And then, once he gets them on the ark, how's he going to keep them fed and, and watered and provided for? Because remember, we said that he was on the ark with the animals for a little over a year. How are you going to do that? Well, again, some things that we could speculate about in answer to that question. God could have used uh, the animal's natural instincts to sense approaching danger. We know that animals have certain migratory patterns and so forth. Noah could have used those things. God could have instructed him to use those kind of things in the gathering process. I do think it's interesting to note that animals didn't have a natural fear of man until after the ark. You know, for us, if I told you, I want you to go out and, and I want you to get me, you know, two black panthers. I'm going to tell you, that's going to be a job. For one thing, if I can even get to where there is a black panther, he's going to run away from me so fast that I can't catch up with him. How am I going to catch that black panther? Well, the black panther didn't have a natural fear of man prior to the flood. Did you notice there in Genesis chapter 9, this is after the flood. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moves upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as... A, the green herb have I given you all things. There's a hint there, I think a pretty strong hint, by the way, that prior to the flood, men were vegetarian. They didn't eat meat. Now they're authorized by God to eat meat, but uh, to sort of level the playing field, so to speak, God puts the fear of man into the animal's mind. That's why we have trouble when we go hunting. If it hadn't been for that, they'd just walk into us. Now we have to hunt them because God put the fear of man into it. So, uh, again, but prior to the flood, God could have used the natural instincts uh, of the animals. We know animals have displayed uh, uh, changed behavior when they sense approaching danger and so forth. Certainly, without a doubt, I think we could imagine that miraculous intervention was certainly involved. God was doing things that would not have happened naturally to bring the animals together. What about caring for those animals? You've got to feed them, right? You've got to, you've got to have enough food to feed them, water to, for them to drink. And then what are you going to do with all their natural byproduct waste? Well, uh, we know that dangerous things cause animals to change their behavior. 
and and there's been an un, there, there's been plenty of times where men have documented unnatural compatibility uh, when there were uh, stressful times for animals. For instance, you know, animals that n naturally would have been enemies of one another, even predatory enemies of one another, have been seen to uh, drop those kinds of things during forest fires and so forth, and sort of an unnatural compatibility has been witnessed. That could have come to play on the ark. I think maybe a very possible thing was that some of those animals could have been put into hibernative states uh, during the time that they were on the flood, uh, on the ark during the flood. Uh, they wouldn't have eaten, and they wouldn't have made byproducts, and so possibly they could have hibernated. God could have caused them to hibernate during those times. Lots of possibilities. Now, we know the least about the answer to that question. And so we're left to speculate quite a bit. But I think the answer again is it's, it was doable. It certainly could have been done as the Bible says that it was done. Well, all right. Now a question about the flood itself. Where did all the floodwaters come from anyway? Uh, I mean, the, 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 the water on the earth was pretty incredible. Genesis 7, verses 11 and 12. Genesis 7:11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, and so it uh, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, uh, as a result of that, uh, it says in verse 19 of Genesis 7. The waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. All the mountains were, were covered fifteen cubits, fifteen cubits. What that's going to be, over 20 feet of water was over the highest parts of the earth. I'm thinking Mount Everest. What's Mount Everest? Mount Everest is something like 27,000 feet tall. And you've got water over the top of Mount Everest? That's incredible. Where did, where did all that water come from anyway? Well, I think, we, again, we can put together some answers to that question. Certainly, 40 days and 40 nights of rain would have produced a lot of water. You know, just recently, we had like three, almost three solid days of rain. It caused flooding some places. I mean, if you get three days of pretty consistent heavy rain, you're going to have some floods going on. Make that 40 days and 40 nights of solid rain. You can imagine there'd be some flooding going on. So certainly the rain would have been a factor, but I think probably more notable than that are a couple of other statements there in that text, Genesis 7, 11, and 12. The fountains of the great deep were broken up. What this suggests is a lot of really violent geological activity taking place, earthquakes, eruptions, and so forth that brought up large quantities of water from subterranean sources. So when the fountains of the great deep were broken up and, and they spewed forth, not only was that a source of water, but what I want you to understand from that, that would have required some really violent shaking and, and, and changes taking place in the Earth's crust. There was a lot of geological activity taking place there. Also, the windows of heaven were open. You remember what we said when we started talking about this just a few minutes ago? Um, 
was there a water vapor canopy that encircled the earth? And when he says the windows of heaven were opened, does that suggest maybe the collapse of that water vapor canopy that was enveloping the earth, that was causing the greenhouse conditions all over the earth? I think that's a possibility. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I, I got to acknowledge here that there's a lot of speculation involved in these things. But that makes sense because there was something different before the flood. It hadn't even rained. Now, after the flood, we couldn't get by without rain. So there was a lot different before the flood until now after the flood. So you got 40 days and 40 nights of rain. You got the fountains of the great deep being broken up. But remember, again, all that violent shaking and, and sort of breaking up of the earth's crust, that geological activity with earthquakes and eruptions and so forth, and the windows of heaven being opened, maybe that water vapor canopy collapsing. Well, how much water? Well, some people say, well, it was a flood. It was a pretty significant flood, you know. We've had floods before, and we'll have floods again. It was, just a, it was a pretty bad localized flood in Noah's day. No, this was not just a bad local flood. We already read there in chapter 7 of Genesis, verses 19 and 20, the water prevailed over the highest hills by over 20 feet. The, the entire surface of the earth was covered in water. So we've got some idea maybe where all the water came from. But that begs the last question we want to talk about here. Where in the world did all that water go? Now think about that for a minute. If you got the highest hills covered water, in other words, if you could have, if you could have taken a snapshot of planet Earth at the peak of Noah's flood, there was no dry land. Well, wait a minute. If there was no dry land, then how did the water run off to eventually expose dry land? There was nowhere for it to run off to. You see the problem? In other words, if you had, if you had everything covered, then there wouldn't be any place for the water to run off to to expose dry land. Where did the water go to? Well, the real simple answer to that question is it's still here. It ain't gone anywhere. The water that came in the flood is still here. It's been estimated that if the earth were perfectly flat, in other words, if you could just completely level out the earth, if the earth were per perfectly flat, it would be uniformly covered by one and a half miles of water. Now, think about that. If you, if, you, if you had all of the high mountain ranges flattened out and all of the ocean basins raised up and you made a perfectly flat globe, water would be a mile and a half deep all over. That's how much water there is on planet Earth. Even as it is, water covers more than two-thirds of the Earth's surface even now. Right? There's a lot of water on the Earth. So all the water from the flood is still here. But remember what we were just talking about a, a few moments ago. The Earth experienced a full year of really violent geological upheavals. We read that. The fountains of the great deep were broken up. Remember? Genesis 7, verses 11 and 12. And so you got things like volcanoes. You've got earthquakes. You've got tidal waves. You've got erosion. The land masses that, were, that existed on Earth before the flood probably looked much different than they do now after the flood. I think during these great geological uh, catastrophes that were taking place during the time of the flood... The high mountain ranges got shoved up. You know, geologists tell us that there's evidence 
that mountain ranges have been pushed up over time. My guess is the amount of time that that took wasn't very long. During the time of the flood, the great mountain ranges were pushed up and the deep ocean basins collapsed and became deep. And so that gave high ground and a place for the water to run off into the ocean basins. Uh, the mountains way higher than they were before the flood. Remember we said Mount Everest was is 27-something thousand feet high and you had water? No, Mount Everest wasn't there when the flood was taking place. It got pushed up along with all the other great mountain ranges in the time of the flood. And as, that, as the mountain ranges and the land masses, that dry land masses were being pushed up, then the ocean basins were being carved out. There's some places in the ocean they are just incredibly deep. And so that's where the water went. Uh, this would account for, uh, as we were saying, where much of the floodwaters went. Um, with the natural greenhouse effect gone, and remember we talked about that greenhouse effect that could have been caused by that water vapor that encircled the earth when that collapsed during the time of the flood, if that isn't, in fact is what happened. Then what would it, it would allow is that the north polar regions and the south polar regions now begin to get cold, right? Real cold. And, and, and then an ice age, in fact, ensues after the flood and the polar ice caps freeze and they accumulate a lot of the water. What are the, what are the global warming people warn us about? If, we, if, if the globe warms, what will happen? The polar ice caps will begin to melt. What happens? Low-lying land areas begin to flood, right? Cause, so the polar ice caps contain water in frozen state, that would also account for some of where the water went after the flood. But the answer is the water's still here. It didn't go anywhere. We've still got the water that, that God produced upon the earth in the time of the flood. All right. There's the questions we wanted to talk about. I want to acknowledge again, as I did several times throughout the lesson, that there's a good bit of speculation involved in, in some of these things. The Bible doesn't give us incredible detail, but it does give us enough information that I think we can piece together some parts of the puzzle to answer some, some of these questions about Noah's Ark. And in conclusion, I would just simply say that we can have reason to have great confidence in what the Bible says about the flood that occurred in the days of Noah. You know, Jesus himself acknowledged and gave credence to the story of Noah in the teaching that he did while he was here on earth. If Jesus believed in Noah's Ark, we can certainly believe in Noah's Ark. The very fact that Jesus himself acknowledged the reality of Noah's flood would be enough for us to believe it. But we can do some scientific speculating and come to the conclusion that it is all very feasible. It could have happened and did happen just the way the Bible said. Thanks for your good attention to what we had to say and hope that it's a, a be an encouraging thing to strengthen our faith in the Bible as the inspired and infallible Word of God. We're going to end the lesson with a song of invitation. If you're subject to the Lord's call, we, we hope that you'll make the decision to do what's right without any delay. If you're not yet a Christian, we hope you'll obey that simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. If you're a Christian already but you've fallen away, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand.